0: there, everyone. Welcome to the Women Wired for Wellness podcast presented by Holistic Icon. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam. This podcast was created to fulfill my obsession for the understanding of why we struggle with symptoms, the science behind them, and the reason why most women suffer for years before they seek solutions for their troubling symptom. I'm also very passionate about teaching both my patients and people who come in contact with us, as it helps me empower myself and them with knowledge. What kind of knowledge are we talking about? The knowledge that our health is probably the one asset we all can control. This control begins with knowing all that has been known about it. It is not simply about knowing a disease and considering medications as the only option, because that might be the only option when you are nearing death. But to truly live a fulfilling life, we need to know how to tap into our innate nature to heal and all the possible qualities, including developing grit, passion, and consistency. If this podcast has helped you or opened your eyes to a different path, Please take time to leave a positive review. And if you felt we fell short somehow, would you let us know how to improve it? Now, without any further delay, let's get on with today's podcast. So in this podcast, we take on the subject of female infertility. Now, instead of calling uh, a gynecologist, I decided to talk to one of my colleagues who is a chiropractor in North Carolina. And one of the reasons I chose him is a lot of his videos have been very informative, both for providers in the functional medical world as well as for patients. And a common theme I had seen repeatedly shown in his videos were about how women who struggled to conceive come to see a chiropractor, probably for a functional medical approach, and actually land of conceiving. And I've seen this in my own practice, but he does a great job with educating people on how to delve into it, and I decided this would be a good time for me to talk to him about his approach. So for those of you struggling with this specific issue of infertility, and you've been through the whole workup by the regular medical system, particularly getting your hormones checked, your spouse has been checked. If you're struggling and feel, hey, I don't have another answer, or if they actually found an antibody like the antiphospholipid antibody that causes blood clots, therefore you have to be on heparin for the rest of your pregnancy. This is a video for you. Somebody who has to be on a medication to sustain pregnancy, that's an unnatural way of sustaining the pregnancy. I understand it's very important, but how can we actually resolve this autoimmunity? And let me tell you, this is not really very difficult. A lot of our patients come to us for other issues, and as we work on their inflammation or gut health or their stressors, We actually find halfway through the process, they actually get pregnant and they're overjoyed. We're overjoyed because they didn't realize this was one of the reasons the disease process was actually affecting their ability to have a child. So we call it the terrain. Your body needs to be healthy in order for you to have healthy kids as well as a healthy and stress-free pregnancy. There is also one other very good reason as to why you should not stress or force your body to be pregnant is because whatever is causing your initial infertility or the inability to have the baby is what is going to cause your chronic health issues later. It's the same thing, whether it be um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. People with polycystic ovarian disease eventually do land up having severe depression, hypertension, cardiovascular risk, diabetes, and similarly autoimmune condition. You may have sustained a pregnancy by getting heparin and other medications or a progesterone uh, supplementation, but eventually, once you're done with it, your body has been forced to do something it should not have been forced to do, and all of your health simply goes to hell. So that's why it's very important to address the root cause right from the get-go before you get pregnant. Therefore, one of the things I want you to get out of this podcast is, remember, there is always a solution to a problem, but the most important thing is you got to understand the problem. So without any further delay, here is my discussion with Dr. John Bartimus. So good afternoon, everyone. I know we are at an odd time today instead of our usual 3 30. And I'm here with Dr. John Bartimus, who is from Charlotte, North Carolina. So, John, I'm gonna I haven't introduced you formally in any way shape or form Okay. but um let's start off with I know you are a trained um in chiropractic care right chiropractic yep. care so let me ask you this um why did you decide to go to chiropractic school was there a story behind or it's just something that you always wanted to do
1: um no actually I never it, it's I guess it's kind of interesting but mm-hmm. I'm biased um I grew up always knowing I was going to be a doctor, but, um, I also grew up with the dream to make the NFL as a football player. Mm. And so that, that paradigm of making, making the the NFL football to me growing up was, was top. So I wanted to do anything I could naturally to optimize my outcome on the field. So I was always into fitness and nutrition as a way to boost performance um, once I went to college, I went in as bio pre-med cause I always had this doctor thing in my mind, mm-hmm. but I got to the end of, of undergrad and said, Hey, I don't want to live in a hospital and I don't want to give medication. So what do I do? And I'd never heard the word chiropractor, but my career counselor said, Hey, why don't you check out chiropractic? So long story short, I wrote a guy, he was seeing cancer patients and athletes and doing acupuncture and people were happy when they came in and happy when they left. So mm-hmm. I was like, this looks cool. I'll do this, and the philosophy um, was in step with my, hey, let's do goals, so it all made sense.
0: Okay, so basically you wanted to avoid the sick care from from the very beginning. It was all about the health and wellness. Yes. Okay, and you know that's very interesting because everybody who goes to medical school goes in saying, I want to help people who are sick. And yeah. I remember growing up in India, Mother Teresa used to do a lot of uh, charity work. Mm-hmm. And one of the goals I used to think is when I grow up, I'm going to be a doctor and go and uh, work with her or work with her group. And then came along the boys. Right. And then yeah. this was like through that, <laughs> that part. Yeah. <laughs> Then uh, going into medical school, I never knew that there was a wellness aspect it, because we are raised in a culture, whether it be in India or here, that disease is inevitable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, the only way to address any disease state is to go to a physician. So having gone to chiropractic school and I know today we're going to talk about functional medicine. Mm-hmm. What was your, what were your initial years? Did you actually, um, was chiropractor, uh, coaching or the training, what all, what you expected it to be?
1: Um, I was, I was kind of an open slate cause I'd never heard the word until about four months before I went to school, you know? Right. So, um, I am a, a nerd kind of detective type mindset though. So I was reading, philosophy books from the early developers as I was waiting for school and and checking out things. So um, actually what I found was there's kind of two two sides to chiropractic. One side is highly philosophical and kind of the wellness-based, let's make you perform. And the other side is a side that's kind of followed a, a more medical type rubric where they're like, hey, you only treat people who are in pain or who have a complaint. If they don't have one, you don't need to see them. And I think both are necessary, and what chiropractic hasn't done so well is kind of blend the two, right? Because people don't generally walk in 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 perfect health seeking to maintain wellness or totally damaged. They're somewhere in between, right? So, um, you know, but as I'm sure you experienced in medical school, the schools teach to the boards not to make you a great doctor. So, you know, you have to get through school, but you become the competent doctor by doing seminars outside by doing postgraduate work, by reading, you know, by doing the things outside of school that actually matter. And so I was, I was thankfully um, into those things and I've had great mentors along the way. And that's helped me get here today.
0: You know, that's, it's so interesting you say that. I, you know, at the time that I went to medical school, I didn't think I was studying for the Bolts. I thought I was studying to learn the disease, and but eventually, when you when it all comes down to it, it's really the MSQs, yeah. right? Can you ace the MSQs? So, um, let's say, uh, so you started your you finished the chiropractor school, and what did you, what were what, what was your journey into um functional medicine? Like, did you did you ever practice like a traditional chiropractor, just you know, having mm-hmm the rows of those, uh, what do you, what do you call those adjustment tables and just adjust yeah. people?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did that. Um, because I went through chiropractic school without ever hearing the term functional medicine, right? Because functional medicine isn't caught, excuse me, isn't taught in any medical school, yeah. um, unless something's changed recently, but functional medicine is all postgraduate work. So basically the chiropractic was my ticket into the game. And then once I had a ticket in, you know, we all, as doctors, have to decide. Well, where are we going to go? What's our right. niche going to be? What's our focus going to be? So, I graduated as a chiropractor, began to practice chiropractic in the way that I viewed it as a wellness type thing, with implementing nutrition and exercise and stress reduction, those sorts of things. So, I was kind of doing functional medicine without knowing I was doing it, mm-hmm. and at a at a not as in depth level as I am now. Um, and so, I did that until I actually came across functional medicine and then dove in the deep end and went from there.
0: So for you, the journey was always, you were always about wellness because you were in the, um, fitness realm basically. And so disease was not even in your radar.
1: No, not as, um, to me. So society tends to say, Hey, disease is inevitable or normal with age, right? Mm -hmm. To Mm -hmm. me, disease was, uh, was an absence of health, right? So, like, a shadow doesn't exist unless there's an absence of light, right? So we could say we are light, or or health would be the light, and disease only shows up when shadows appear, right? So right. we could say, well, why is that shadow there? Oh, there's a, there's a there's a wall between the light source and what's behind that wall, etc. Mm-hmm. So for me, the focus wasn't disease, or a different way to look at it, and this is where the chiropractic philosophy really fits in. Is is Chiropractic states that you know there's 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 a disease isn't an entity in and of itself. It's a lack of sufficiency, right? Or so, um, in other words, toxins or deficiencies are going to lead to the diseases or health problems. Mm-hmm. So the disease is a manifestation of you lacking something you, the body absolutely requires, like a nutrient or or something like that, or you need to remove an interference or a toxin. So right, it's right. like, if you have a plant and it's sick, you don't say, well, it's normal for plants to get sick. You say, when was the last time we watered it? Have we, mm-hmm. have we fertilized it or given it food? Is it in, does it receive sun, right? right and right. if it does, we have a healthy plant. So it's kind of like, you know, we're all human plants.
0: Right, right. So uh, once again, when you get into chiropractic practices, So the way I, I I, mean, growing up in the medical school, the traditional medical training, one of the things that I realized is I was taught never to use a chiropractor, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of that too, because we don't know what it is and- We're quacks. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, in many ways, no, chiropractors actually do adjustment of the backs, but we were taught to tell patients, don't go to a chiropractor, it'll get worse. Mm -hmm. So, I remember working at the VA and I very distinctly remember there were a few patients who would come really sick and a lot of pain, there's a lot of pain, post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. Mm -hmm. And the ones who would go to a chiropractor after about six months, finally, when they get through all of that waiting list and get to see me, they were much better. Mm -hmm. And they will say, oh, my back pain was fine. And here I was setting up a neurosurgery appointment and an MRI and all of those things. And it just fascinated me. So I started getting curious about, you know, what do you mean you went to a chiropractor? Mm -hmm. And uh, even then, at that point in time, I didn't realize this. And it was very funny when, um, uh, you know, when I finally quit the VA and one of the reasons I quit the VA, I said, I've been seeing these guys for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And the federal government is very um, rigid with its um, standard guidelines, right? A diabetic needed to be on this many medicines. A hypertensive needed to be on these medicines. we got to start with hydrochlorothiazide. we got to have a beta blocker if they had a coronary artery disease. So I was doing what I thought was guidelines. I was meeting the guidelines. And all I realized was I was meeting the guidelines. The guys were seeing me on a regular basis every four months, and they were getting sick every Mm -hmm. year. Like I added new medicines or new diagnosis. And at some point I didn't know what else to do. I wasn't necessarily aware. And when I finally, uh, really when I quit, I started my own practice and I had my first office where I subleased in an occupational health. Mm -hmm. And the occupational health is what they did was they did uh, pre-physicals, I guess, pre-employment physicals. Mm -hmm. And then they would do like if work injuries. Workmen compensation injuries. Yeah. And uh, I remember talking to one of the doctors there and he was saying, um, oh, we uh, we were just discussing about back pain. And he says, oh, I send them down to so-and-so Dr. Stiles or whoever was down the road. And he's a great chiropractor. And I'm like, oh, really? You send people to chiropractors? <laughs> I know, totally. Uh, because all I did when back pain was go to physical therapy. That's yeah. what I knew, do extra physical therapy, doesn't work, then go to the neurologist or neurosurgeon, whomever I felt was the right person to go. And uh, this chiropractor in between, I didn't know what exactly their role was. And it was just so uh, weird, a week after I had this discussion with this man and I had taken the card of the chiropractor because I was getting a lot of women with low back pain. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't planning on doing anything with it, but I had this card. And a week later, I actually got up in the morning and I couldn't get out of bed. Uh I had no freaking clue what had happened. I just knew my back was in real spasm. I had severe neck pain. I hadn't done anything different. I was exercising like I normally did. But over the last few months, I had started having a lot of aches and pains, particularly in the neck. And I remember it was like something like seven in the morning. And, you know, when you're in practice, you don't show up, you don't get paid. Right, when you're a private practitioner. So I remember telling my husband, "You know what? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea. It's just like my back is severe." But this conversation came to my mind, and I said, "There's a chiropractor just down my my home. The practice, everything was in the same place." I said, "Why don't you? I'm just going to give them a call and see if they will see me." And they said, "Yeah, sure, come on." And I remember my husband had to carry me in because I just couldn't mm-hmm. walk, and I walked out of that place. Yeah with absolutely, I mean, I would say there was residual pain was there, but no, I mean, literally nothing compared to what I walked into that office. Yeah. So that was my first experience, but I would say this, he said, uh, he did x-ray and of course he said, you know, I think you need some adjustment and, you know, I, I didn't think I had any DJD, even though he may have said something about a bulging disc, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but something that he said is, he said, you need to look at, what is actually causing this. Mm -hmm. So coming to that, when as a chiropractor, and these are then I started reading about the spine and how the nerves connect to the internal organs Mm -hmm. and how sometimes when you have a back pain, it may not be the back as such, but it's telling you something about the internal organs. Can you explain a little more about it? Because I'll tell you how my story ended after you tell me what uh, I guess how you're taught about that.
1: Yeah. So basically, um, chiropractic views that the nervous system is primary. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the brain communicates with every cell in the body via the spinal cord and out the spinal nerves. And if you look at spinal anatomy, there's a sensory branch and a motor branch of every mm-hmm. spinal nerve that leads at every level, right? So the, right. the sensory branches go to joints, skin, muscles, mm-hmm. and, and organs. And then the motor branches go to muscles, Muscle. joints, etc. And right. so, um, so what can happen is a back pain could be a true back pain, like you had a you had an acute injury, and that's a true somatic issue, right? But you could also have a somatic issue that is caused by an organ or viscera, so it's a viscerosomatic referral. So you mm-hmm. so say you have um, a, a diverticulitis. And it's referring to the low back. So you have low Mm -hmm. back pain, but it's because, you know, you have a diverticulitis flare because you ate, you know, some flax seeds yesterday. And now you have back pain. You could also have um, damage to your low back that causes an organ issue. Okay, so it works both ways. That would be a a somatovisceral reflex or a viscerosomatic reflex. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, I've had many patients who come in with low back pain who that's all they complain of. But after a couple adjustments they say you know what I used to get up all the time every night to go to the bathroom or I've had diarrhea for years and that's cleared up since I started to come see you mm. and so it's by by adjusting their low back we're normalizing the the nerve um, tone and so there's no longer that irritation to the nerve which results in end organ irritation which results in diarrhea for that specific person right mm. so it's it's kind of like we were talking off camera just, do what you do create health and the body takes care of what needs to be taken care of
0: right right so for me actually after the adjustment obviously i had to treat myself and what do i go for prednisone right mm-hmm. because i needed to function i was covering the week in the hospital and um, a few months into it the neck pain got really severe i mean i was going to physical therapy getting traction mm-hmm. uh, getting adjustments. And um uh, and I, you know, I started having other health issues besides the fatigue. And really what it to just shorten my story was I had Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny when I started treating high, that's how I found functional medicine, because I was refused to get on the thyroid medicine that early in my life. Um, okay. though I have a genetic a predisposition to have Hashimoto's. Uh, My brother had graves. My mother had Hashimoto's. And I was like, you know, I don't want to take medicines. Graves, I know, happens really in the younger patients. Mm -hmm. But I I didn't want to get on a thyroid medicine. And when I found functional medicine and I actually worked on my gut and, you know, my health, actually, I've never had a neck pain.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's just so fascinating. I always say this to people, but I don't think people make that connection. When they have back and neck pain, they truly believe like, you know, something needs to be done. I have a bulging disc and they get this MRI, they get this erroneous diagnosis. So now when chiropractors say, you know, you need repeated adjustments, what are they actually referring to? Why do people need repeated adjustments? Um,
1: Because most people don't come in right when the problem starts, right? Unless they have that acute issue where they can't go to work. Now they're going to come in. Right. Right. But, but just like, that's where they go to prednisone. What's going to get me back to work right away. Right. So if an issue is chronic, but they can function, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not coming in for a few months or they're going to see their GP and their PT first. And if that fails, then they'll come see us. Right.
0: Yeah. And so,
1: so by then they've got neuroplasticity in terms of if there's any peripheral sensitization or central sensitization, which is, for the lay pe- lay people listening, if the nervous system learns a new normal, like hey, mm-hmm. your low back muscles are this tightness is new because mm-hmm. this is to stabilize and protect you, this inflammatory level is now your norm. Oh. Well, now we have to undo that, right? So one adjustment isn't going to undo the three months you've just built up. Okay. Um, but then one thing I would say is, you know, like every profession, there's there's different knowledge levels in different doctors that you see. So as a patient, you have to figure that out. So if you've had chronic pain and you've been being adjusted for what, you know, for months or years and nothing's changing, then you probably need to see someone who's going to investigate deeper and say, well, maybe this low back pain is a viscerosomatic thing. Like, do you have any inflammatory bowel disease or IBS or, you know, symptomatology okay. that goes beyond just the surface pain? Is there is there an organic cause, right? Um, and one thing I would just touch on is um, you know, healthcare um, is a free market. So just because you've seen a doctor and you may even have a good relationship with a doctor, if you feel like you're you know more than them, you know you should probably go find another doctor. It doesn't mean you can't be <laughs> be cool yeah. with those people and when you see them out and about, but your health, you know, you get one shot at this. And so once you've exhausted one one doctor's knowledge base. It's not to say they're a bad person, but you may need more. And if you're not getting more for yourself because you don't want to offend somebody, then you know.
0: No, I. I you know, I, I. We always say this, right? People lose decades before they come and find mm-hmm. the right doctor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of times, like you said, it's loyalty. Secondly, it's also the knowledge that this is medicine. Like this is the person I need to go to when I have a problem. And if all the experts say there's nothing that can be done. Then that's the truth.
1: Nothing can be
0: done. And one
1: thing, yeah, and one thing I'd say to that is, you know, you said you were taught in school, don't send them to a chiropractor because they'll get hurt. Well, if you're if you're interested in history, the the mainstream medical profession is famous for trying to dominate and have the monopoly. So, like they took osteopaths and they absorbed them. They tried to destroy chiropractic, and chiropractic actually won a Supreme Court lawsuit against mainstream medicine in the 70s you know, because of this. So, so that them teaching you guys to not send to us has financial bias behind it, has monopoly bias behind it. Like there's a market, healthcare is a market in an industry. So the patients out there have to understand that it's not always their best interests that are first. It's, you know, cause if it was, they'd be trying to heal you, not bandaid over symptoms with drugs that you then take forever. And like you said, you're at the VA and over 10 years, you're just adding diagnoses and drugs. If the right. goal was healing, the protocols you were following would not have been the protocols you'd be giving. Right. Right. And and you've learned that over time.
0: Yeah, we, I I know it's like uh, the key thing. And I think the key thing is people need to understand if something is not happening, you're going, but, but again, let me tell you this, this is where I think we're getting into an issue with what is normal. Mm -hmm. I go to my doctor, I have a problem. They give me a medicine. The problem gets immediately better. It doesn't have to go away, but it gets better. My sugars were 500. Doc put me on metformin and gave me Januvia. Now it's uh, 80 and I can still continue to eat the way I've always been eating. Then my, my stuff got better. Nobody ever talks about it got resolved. I, and And we don't compare it to calling a plumber to your house to fix the same pipe over and over again every three months. Right. I know we wouldn't do that to our home, but we are okay with doing it to our bodies because we think there is no other option. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when people come and tell, you know, my doctor did all the tests <laughs> and right there, I'm sure yeah. you've heard of that. Yeah. And it's like, did they do the right tests? And I think that's where we, I, you know, that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about because I didn't have an OBGYN for this topic of female Mm. infertility, because I've seen one of the, if people don't know and have not followed Dr. Uh, John Bottamas on his YouTube channel, or even on his Facebook, he does wonderful videos. And these videos are very informative and they're like less than, you know, 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. but a lot of information that you put in. And I just realized, you know, a lot of OBGYNs, also I've wa- watched a lot of videos on infertility and read a lot of papers. They focus on the main things, the main things about you know the pituitary failure, the ovarian failure. Mm-hmm. and yet about I think the um, when you look at the infertility um, information, it's about ten percent don't have an answer. Everything seems to be normal
1: through yeah.
0: their investigation. Yeah. And for that ten percent, I I don't know if it's bigger than that. In your experience, do you see a lot of uh, women who come to you with infertility or do they come with other issues and then infertility is just one of the problems that get resolved? Um,
1: Yeah, I've seen both, seen it both ways. Okay. Um, So multiple that, hey, I'm coming because I'm infertile and I failed IUI, I failed IVF, and like no one can help me. And then I've also had patients who came for say psoriasis and then got mm-hmm. pregnant and then told me, Hey, I've been infertile forever. I just thought I was, you know, you you're know right, so nothing
0: could be done.
1: Yeah, because they've they've accepted what they've been told, right? right? And so so I see them from both angles. And in both instances, you there are things to be done. So again, this goes back to if if your doctor lives in this box and these are the only possibilities that could be contributing. Once they've exhausted those, then it's like, well, it's all in your head or you're normal or whatever. Well, no, you need to find a doctor that has a bigger, you know, box full of possibilities and can look deeper. And so that's that's what I do um, as a functional medicine doctor is look for, hey, are there you know hormonal causes of your infertility? Are there autoimmune causes? Are there toxicity causes? Are there organic causes? Like, and then how many different causes do you have? Because every patient's a different puzzle. So right. you're probably gonna have more than one cause because you're a human, you're not a textbook.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, that's that's uh, actually probably the biggest challenge is people don't realize, I, I was just looking at the statistics and I'll tell you, 2014, I think the uh, latest statistics, I'm sorry, my phone keeps ringing despite me shutting it off. So I'm not doing a good job with that. <laughs> so, um, so in 2014, they had 190,000 cycles initiated, through these, um, what, what we call the assisted reproductive technology.
1: Sure.
0: And in 2016, was 263. So it's like 25% uh. increase, and I'm sure it's much more now. And there were about 76,000 infants that were born through this ART, the okay. assisted reproductive. So infertility is actually a growing problem. Uh, yeah. though, right now, if you go to the CDC, it says like less than uh, 1.7 or 1.9, so about two percent of the population uh, probably struggles with it. In what has been your experience when it comes to infertility? Is it mostly men or women, or do you say they're equal?
1: Um, what I would say is at least perception wise, it's highly biased towards women, and when I work with someone. Or a couple, I always tell them, "Hey, you know, I realize you're coming in female mm-hmm. for this, mm-hmm. but if if there's there's a likelihood that we may have to check him out because mm-hmm. it takes two, right? And right. so if you've been through IUI and IVF and the husband's never done anything, um, it you know in terms of giving a sperm sample and been checked that way, then it may be all in the husband or or a little bit of both of you, and unless you address the whole picture between the two then you may not get the baby you desire. So mm-hmm. at least perception it would be females and I think that's unfair and inaccurate because of you know some some relationships end because of that. Um, some some women walk around thinking they're they're broken or or low self-esteem or whatever because they can't have a baby and that's all they ever wanted. Well, first of all, as we've discussed, they probably haven't been thoroughly checked and then mm-hmm. it's highly likely that the the husband or the, the partners never been checked. Yeah. Um, so that needs to occur.
0: Do you actually see that where the uh, because you usually I see when when infertility is an issue, both of them get checked, but I think with the guy, they just do sperm count and motility, and I think that's pretty much what they do with them.
1: I'm not yes assuming. so so the ones that have been checked, um they do the sperm sample and they're looking at. Like you said, the count, the motility, and various different markers, and even if they're off, they're it's like everything in medicine. They'll they'll have a, a a lab high or lab low, and then the guy's like, oh, they said they're that I'm normal, and I'm like, well, you have lab abnormals on the sheet, right? You know, right. Mot- motility's off. That could be because of infection or this or that or heat or EMS or that sort of thing. So, it's yes. Again, what is normal? Like you started saying earlier. Normal in the conventional model is not normal in the functional model. Correct. So understanding the paradigm that the normal came from helps you understand if you're truly normal or not.
0: Right. So let's say most, uh, when a female comes to you, w- normally what has she really undergone before she says, you know, infertility is a huge issue. I've heard you've helped people. What, what have you seen that most of the times gets missed?
1: um so uh, let's just say a, a typical avatar would be mm-hmm. someone's coming in excuse me i need to cough here <coughs> excuse me would come in and say i have infertility i've had x number of miscarriages mm-hmm. um we've done everything like cycle maps and ovulation predictor kits and and all of that we've even tried iui and ivf and you know they say if i fail one more i'm done okay mm-hmm. so before we do that, what can you do? Save me, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, awesome, thanks. Um, Excuse me, so that is what's typical. Yeah. um, From a presentation standpoint, and then if you're asking, (laughs) what do I end up finding? That varies as well, and we can go through certain. We'll go through if, the, If, if yeah. you want to,
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely, we'll go through that. So l- let's say, um, so w- when you look at the traditional um, definition of infertility, they say it's like uh, 12 months, uh, they have tried to actually get pregnant, and there has uh, they've been unsuccessful. Because mm-hmm. usually within the first four months, your success rate is 25%, it's almost 80%. By six months, so if you go to a year and you've really not had any issue of you know chances of getting pregnant or did not have any pregnancy, there are two different types of infertility, right? You have the primary where they never get pregnant, and the secondary where they get pregnant. I I would say in secondary, I would call it two. Also, it's like usually secondary is when you've had a child and then you can't get pregnant again. But I also think. This, uh, in between this, we, I see a lot in um, uh, doctors who do residency is getting pregnant, but not being able to keep the pregnancy, yeah right? And the miscarriages, I don't know where they fall in, but I think that's a very devastating uh, aspect. My example would be, I had six, uh, six pregnancies. I have only mm-hmm. two live children. Mm-hmm. So, and, and at that time, I didn't even think about it. Now I know why, but, yeah. I just thought it was a stress of pregnancy. Uh, I mean, stress of uh, residency and, you know, I'm just getting used and trying to do all the right things. But um, I, I think that's a huge part. So in terms of people, do you see a difference in the avatar where people are not getting pregnant at all, the ones who miscarry and the ones who've had a pregnancy and then are unable to conceive again?
1: Yeah, I, I think... At least in my patient base, the most common one is the uh, it'd probably go the person with miscarriages first, mm-hmm. and then the person who can't get pregnant, and then the person who's had a baby but can't have another one. So that's, okay. those are probably the least that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, mine tend to be the can't carry through as the most, and then, hey, we can't get pregnant at all as second most.
0: So in that part, like the ones that miscarry, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you, because you're coming from a functional medical uh, perspective, and I can tell you what had been my experience, Mm -hmm. but what have you seen was done for them in the traditional medical world before they come to you? Like when they say all the tests have been done um, Mm -hmm. and nothing has been found. And how many pregnancies does it take? How many pregnancies do they have to lose before they say, you know what, I got to go to a person who has a different way of thinking?
1: (laughs) That's it's it's multiple, you know, probably probably three on average from the the people I see Um, and what they've had done would be, you know, maybe some hormone testing, which is even even the hormone testing being done is incomplete. Right. Um, you know they may tr- they may have even tried IUI or IVF already um, and been okay. successful, but not carried. Or go ahead. Uh,
0: do you want to explain what IUI and I, IVF is? Yes. Yeah. So expect,
1: yeah. Uh, IVF is in vitro in vitro fertilization, fertilization, and IUI is intrauterine insemination, implantation, implantation. 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 Yeah. Yeah. implantation. yeah. Excuse Yeah. Me. Yeah. yeah. So, so basic go ahead.
0: No, no, go ahead. So they would have tried those two. Uh, mm-hmm. so do they try those two with miscarriages or do they just miscarry miscarry and just decide you know they need to have a different approach?
1: It's been a mix. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's been a mix. Um so I, I you know I don't get to choose, they they come to me. So right, right. Um, but but that that's it's been a mix. Um, it's probably with miscarriage more. Um, no, I, I'd have to say it's been a mix.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I would have, you know, when I miscarried or I had ectopic pregnancy, I never thought about um, you know, the, the possibility of me not having a, a baby, probably because I had a very logical explanation as yeah. to, you know, why I was uh, miscarrying or having ectopic pregnancies. So uh so when a woman comes to you, so usually it's multiple. Do you uh, is she does she come to you for that specific issue or is there other underlying issues she's just given up that she can't carry a baby to term and is that would that be, w- what has been the profile? When I'm trying to figure out, when does a woman say, hey, I've had two miscarriages, Mm -hmm. the traditional gynecologist doesn't believe there's anything else. I'm still young and I can still get pregnant, but this is what they tell you, right? Don't worry about this. You'll get pregnant kind of thing. Just have a six week gap or another two months gap, depending on if they do a DNC or not. Um, What has, what would you say should be their approach, like, hey, you've had two miscarriages. They don't have an answer. What is that saying? Trying to do the same thing over and over yeah. again.
1: Insanity. Different.
0: Yeah. Einstein. Right. right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I would say, um, if they're not presenting directly for the infertility, then the next thing the listener should should question is you have again. Conventional medicine is very myopic, very specialized, very focused. So right. they're only going to consider your uterus and your ovaries right and the
0: pituitary axis
1: yeah yes. but, so, yeah so the so the yeah hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis right. but you need to ask yourself what else from a health standpoint is going on cuz at least in my experience in the patients i've seen oftentimes these women also will have psoriasis going on or crohn's going on or hashimotos going on or family history of endometriosis or very high stress or pcos or insulin you know so the, what other metabolic issues systemically are you dealing with chronic infection? You know, what are you exposed to? All of these things matter. And there's there's defined scientific mechanisms by which these various things can be causing your infertility. Yeah, so... That, that, that you're, sorry, that your OB is never going to consider and probably has never heard of.
0: And, you know, that's the part, I think that that's the 10% that we're going to be talking about, Mm -hmm. right? So when they have, when an OB or gynecologist, even if you look at all of the studies, they talk about infertility as, hey, your hypothalamus is not producing a hormone, the gonadotropin-releasing hormone, or there's a problem with the pituitary is either producing too much of prolactin or not enough of the follicular stimulating hormone or luteinizing hormone, Mm -hmm. or it could be a ovarian problem where there is like the uh, type 2 ovarian failure, which would be your uh, polycystic ovarian uh, syndrome, Mm -hmm. or it could be that you're not having enough follicles, a premature ovarian failure. So they kind of create this, this is why Mm -hmm. you have infertility. And this is the only axis that they uh, look at, right? So they look at the prolactin, they look at these Sometimes they don't even check the prolactin because if they check the prolactin, they would be, they would have to check the thyroid.
1: Yeah.
0: And a lot of times, only TSH is done, which right. is actually once again a pituitary hormone. It's, yeah. Uh, uh, that's the other part of it. So let's look at the broad classifications of what are we missing in the ten percent of the women who come in with infertility what do you say what would you say is like one of the commonest things that you see over and over again that the traditional medical system is not looking at
1: yeah um, immune dysfunction would be the, the broadest answer that I'll say so some some level of immune dysfunction and then depending on the female you know this this person the immune dysfunction may be autoimmunity this mm-hmm. person it may be chronic infection you know this person may be endocrine disruptors or, or stress or cortisol that's suppressing immunity and suppressing sex hormone production. Uh, insulin resistance is a huge one as well. So blood sugar abnormalities. Um, so real quick though, on, you, you mentioned kind of the box or the differential list that they live by. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things you said was premature ovarian failure. Right. Well, that could be an autoimmune driven their mm-hmm. pre, their premature ovarian failure could be autoimmune, and the OB is not is not going to consider Absolutely. that yeah. most of the time. And so again, if you have an autoimmune issue going on that may not be diagnosable yet, but is still happening in your body, then if they don't know how to look for it, or if they're only going to call it that when it meets diagnostic criteria, then they're they're going to miss it for years or forever. You know. Right. So. I,
0: just so you could uh, explain what autoimmune is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, I, I'm sure m- many people who listen to our podcast do understand what autoimmune is. But what would you say is autoimmune? What, what does autoimmune mean?
1: Yeah. So autoimmune means essentially that your immune system is forgetting the difference between Dr. Nisha and not Dr. Nisha, right? So where, where it would fight strep in the past and leave Dr. Nisha alone, now it sees strep and parts of Dr. Nisha that look like strep and attack them both at the same time. So now Dr. Nisha is being damaged by her own immune system, so autoimmune disease. And so the tissue being involved, so you said you have Hashimoto's, that's thyroid autoimmunity. So Dr. Right. Nisha's thyroid is being attacked by her own immune system because it's lost tolerance to self or the it's lost the ability to say, hey, that's Nisha, don't shoot her, right. that's strep, shoot that, right? Right,
0: right. And you know, that's it, it, this is probably another uh, good way for people to understand. When you have a disease process, When they, in the traditional medical system, let's say for Crohn's or uh, for that matter, even um, uh, psoriasis, you know, when we are trying to give what we call the immunomodulators, I always tell people they're not necessarily a, uh, addressing the disease. Mm-hmm. They're basically attacking you.
1: Yeah.
0: Even our treatment gets down to attacking the person. And that's why when you're taking something that is modulating your immune system, and I don't know if patients get explained this, the first five years, you're at a high risk for infections. The next 10 years are at a risk for having cancers Cancer, yep. so that you don't have the joint pain for... Right and it doesn't completely go away. because
1: The Humira commercial, yeah. Right. Um, And and the way I explain it is, first of all, it's never being explained to them properly, because the immune system is very complex. So my my metaphor is the immune system is an orchestra, right? Mm -hmm. So you have stringed instruments and brass and percussion, and, and each instrument is a different pathway that has different responsibilities. Well, the medical system, has eight minutes to deal with you. Mm -hmm. So instead of teasing out which instrument in the pit is not playing well, they're going to give you a Humira, which drops the curtain on the whole show. Yes. Okay. So instead of figuring out, hey, percussion's off, let's just nuance that out and deal with that specifically. We're going to just drop the whole curtain and sorry if the crowd's mad, but that's it. We're closing the show down. And by dropping the curtain, that's why you have increased risk for TB or cancer or these things, because not only is it stopping theoretically what's causing your issue, but it's shutting down all the functions that you need that weren't a problem.
0: That's a very nice way of uh, explaining what we do when we just throw them with drugs. I know they're trying to now figure out, can we get just one that will go to the specific cell or the specific immunity? But as they, you know, like I always say, if you don't know what the problem is, don't try to formulate solutions. Right. Because the solutions are going to probably be completely wrong. Right. right? Right. So uh, let's say uh, you said immune problems. Women come to you mostly with immune problems. So we mentioned autoimmunity. What kind of testing do you do you get into to discover what kind of immune problems they might have?
1: Um, I'll get in to the testing that they need is the ambiguous answer. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd work up the female specifically, but but in your case, for example, if you if you came in and you said, "Hey, my father had Graves and my was it yeah. brother had Hashimoto's?" My my, my okay. brother had
0: Graves and my mother had
1: Hashimoto's. Okay, sorry. So, mm-hmm. family history of thyroid. Is, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the thyroid antibodies would be something very important to test, and mm-hmm. the typical conventional model is going to run a TSH and maybe a free T4. A full thyroid panel is going to be nine markers. So if you've seen your OB and they said, we can't find it, we don't know, and they've only ever run two ninths of a thyroid panel, they can't say it's not the thyroid because they've never actually asked right. every question, right? Right, right? So a full thyroid panel would be big time there. And <clears throat> excuse me, in any infertile patient, thyroid is important because whether or not you have autoimmunity, Thyroid hormone T3 promotes luteal cell production of progesterone. So your thyroid and your progesterone are interconnected. So you may be infertile because of thyroid dysfunction affecting your progesterone levels and your ability to ovulate and conceive, et cetera. So thyroid is very important to check no matter who you are and check thoroughly, which isn't happening in conventional medicine.
0: Right, right. And then a lot of times we have to understand in Hashimoto's, just like what Hashimoto's is, the thyroid is getting destroyed, but it's, and the, somehow the body is able to function normally till the thyroid gets completely destroyed. So you will have high days and low days. So mm-hmm. some days you're going to have palpitations, lots of energy and, you know, feel good. And other days you actually feel lazy. It's not even fatigued. It's actually a laziness, no drive to do anything. Having experienced all of this, it's something that I I understand when women come and tell me, you know, I don't know. I I used to be fine, but I think I still think I'm fine, but my husband thinks I'm lazy. (laughs) You know, that one of those uh, changes in the personality. And that's why when you do a test at any any given time, the TSH will be normal. The T4 Mm -hmm. can be normal because Mm -hmm. you're doing it on a day where you're not having the high or the low. And uh, again, you're missing that window. Um, even if you're trying to uh, diagnose it with just two of those tests.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because you could have a normal TSH and normal T4, but your T3s are in the tank. Yeah. Or or even your T3s could be normal, but you've got raging thyroid antibodies, meaning the immune system is attacking. And, And so that's what you need to understand is in Hashimoto's, the thyroid is the innocent bystander. That's the tissue being damaged. So that's their focus. That's why they give you Synthroid. But the real problem is the immune system attacking self. So, If we give you synthroid and just walk away and don't address the immune system and the act and the drivers of that process, then you're never going to get better.
0: Right. I I didn't know. I I just recently had a young woman who showed me her thyroid panel, and her TPO was two thousand (laughs) six hundred and ninety. Wow. And she has this hoarseness in her voice in her throat that never goes away. Mm -hmm. And they've done ENT has scoped and they said, you know, there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. Everything is fine. And she said, is there something in the thyroid that needs to be addressed? And her doctor said, we don't do anything with that. You're fine. You don't need thyroid medicine. But actually she's experiencing inflammation and actually dysfunction. And she's always been told by the experts that that's fine your labs are normal, right? So I think, once again, people have to start thinking, if I am struggling with something and you tell me my blood tests are normal, there's a disconnect here. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many different ways we have to explain people to people that if you have a symptom, we f- did not find it in the testing we did, then we need to change our testing. Correct. Or we need to do more testing, right? Yeah,
1: the problem is in our culture that the... the the blame falls on the patient in that instance, not on the doctor. So they say, "Hey, we did the testing; it's normal. It's all in your head. Here's a, here's some Xanax or something, right?" And right. and it's it's no. It's doc. You 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 either need to test more deeply, learn more, or patient. This is what I was talking about earlier. You you're in a free market. You need to go find a doctor with the knowledge that can help you and isn't going to brush you off and say it's in your head. If they're saying that you you know you've reached the limit of their knowledge and mm-hmm. you're, you're done there. So you need to go find a doctor that knows more or else sure. you're, you're going to get that insanity. You're going to keep getting what you've always gotten and get the same results, which are poor.
0: And you know, that's a very important point you said. You, you've you reached their, no, their maximum of their knowledge level. Physicians who actually listen to functional medicine, I mean, a lot of times I see it among physician groups too when I, I'm in traditional physicians and functional medical physician groups, one of the things I see among uh, traditional physicians is how quickly they will come to the conclusion. Yeah, you got to get your thyroid out so you can get pregnant because yeah. you know you got the toxic nodular goiter. Yeah. and a lot of times, it's almost like it's not even their knowledge. I think as physicians we have to make that change. I don't think we ever stop learning. Number one, but I we mean, shouldn't. It, we yeah. shouldn't. We shouldn't traditionally, uh, but our continuing medical education is really geared towards what is the latest drug what is the latest right. testing and what more can we do to diagnose things early it's never been about how can we get patients back to wellness or why is this happening and why should we get to that, that's not even the philosophy in medicine
1: right 100% and and if we go back to looking at it as an industry right a well person makes the industry zero dollars, so that's why everything's focused on the next drug or the next test because those are the, that's what they bill for, right? right? So again, as the patient, you have to advocate for yourself and say, you know, your goal should be optimization. And I say optimization instead of cure because matter has limitations, and there's certain people that'll never be cured, but they don't have to live with the same crappy quality of life that they have right now. They could have their health optimized by someone who can do the detective work and go say, Hey, we clean up this, this, and this, you're never going to be 20 again, but you, you can not feel like you're 60 when you're 40, you know? Right. Right. So, right. so,
0: so, uh, let's, so thyroid is one of the main issues. And I, yeah. I totally agree with your Hashimoto's. What are the other um, uh, antibodies that you would be looking for? If somebody, let's say they don't have Hashimoto's. Sure. What are the other so,
1: things? so if you're a woman that's been told you have, premature ovarian failure, you want to look at ovarian antibodies, because if you have antibodies directly to your ovaries, well, then that's going to damage the ovaries and your eggs and look like pre premature ovarian failure. So, and I've had patients that have this, um, and you may, I've, I had a patient that had um, infertility, hard time getting pregnant with her first, and then we dealt with this, and then she had her first, and then she had more after that. So, understanding. uh, And ovarian antibodies are something that most even functional medicine doctors don't know about. So um, those could be there. Also, antiphospholipid syndrome is another one you want to look at. Um, And antiphospholipid syndrome um, has been associated with birth control pill use. So the more and longer that you've used birth control pills, the higher your risk of autoimmune disease, period. But antiphospholipid syndrome specifically, and so if you have antiphospholipid antibodies that means your immune system's attacking the phospholipid bilayer of cells and so if you were to conceive and those you know those cells are expanding the immune system may attack that that fetus as enemy and prevent you know carrying through
0: so uh, just go back to the ovarian antibodies mm-hmm. what is it attacking is it attacking the ovaries or the ovum the follicles or what part it's- of the-
1: it's attacking the ovaries
0: the ovaries the ovaries and Yeah. do they uh, do they actually see it in traditional medicine like do they look for ovarian antibodies no. or no no nope. they don't okay. okay and it's the same way like with any uh, autoimmune condition you just address it from the root cause
1: Yeah. You want to check out, you know, address their orchestra, right. And whatever's going wrong there, but then also looking at the rest of their health picture. So how's their nutrient status? What's their blood sugar like? What's their hormone stress Yeah, toxins, et cetera, et cetera. So their complete puzzle needs to be addressed. But obviously if there's autoimmune process, the immune system is going to be the primary thing that, that,
0: that our focus, yeah, our right. focus should be on yeah. how, how to reset the immune system, yeah, uh, or retune it and figure out why it was out of tune.
1: Yeah, and so an, another thing, excuse me, that can that can cause it to be out of tune is if you have chronic infection, and mm. so whether you have a chronic infection locally or systemically, that can result in infertility, um, specifically as pelvic inflammatory disease. So if you have PID or pelvic inflammatory disease. That's been shown in the research to cause preterm labor, excuse me, cause miscarriage and cause endometriosis. And so if you have a a chronic infection that is not showing lab high in your WBC or your white blood cell count, again, your doctor's not even going to think about it or recognize it because it's not acutely obvious, okay? So Epstein-Barr, common one, cytomegalovirus, common one human herpes virus six common one and all of these are associated with chronic fatigue and with other symptoms that you know doctors could brush you off and just say you know we don't know or you have fibromyalgia or something like that and just push you out the door.
0: Okay so you actually look for systemic viral infections you're not talking about infection in the uterus? Correct. Okay. So systemic viral infections. So that's uh, one. So you have autoimmune, you have indolent infection. That's not very obvious and nobody's looking for it. Uh, What are the other uh, conditions why infertility is an
1: issue? You want to look at your toxic exposure and the average woman uses 12 health and beauty aids per day. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the average male, six. So the average female is using 12 products per day, shampoos, makeups, deodorants, lipstick, et cetera, that that, um, contain endocrine disrupting chemicals. So you can read the label and say, hey, are there phthalates or parabens or dioxins or glyphosate or BPA? And if those are there, those are all endocrine disruptors, which are all estrogenic or promote estrogen, which if you're if you're gonna if you're using a lot of them and becoming estrogenic or endocrine disruption, you're gonna sway that hormone balance, which then could lead to infertility. That's one way um, of many. So, so toxic exposure. So looking at your your stuff in your household in terms of health and beauty aids and say, hey, is this clean or is this full of toxins? And another but the clean thing,
0: ones then just don't stick to your face. Yeah, That's but happened, right, you know,
1: do you want a baby or do you want to? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know um, but another thing to consider too is is that the health and beauty aid industry is is deregulated. No one's checking that. Yeah. So many products. It's known that many products contain estrogen directly in them that Actually, is not yes. is not reported. So that in and of itself will skew your hormone profile and potentially lead to hormonal imbalance that could cause infertility.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, simple stuff like over-the-counter lotions actually have estrogen in them, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize, especially men, putting it on. I think they yeah. need to be aware that um, the, these do have estrogen. So uh, yeah. toxins. So how do you know if you are toxic? Do you have? What, do you do a specific testing for that, or do you just go? Yeah, through there,
1: it? there's yeah. there's testing that you can do for it. And I don't do that on everybody. I don't do anything on everybody. But yeah. when I'm working up the case, if I'm there are certain questions in my questionnaire and, and things that will mm-hmm. point me that way. Um, and for example, I can tell you I've had a patient recently who works on a farm, and and we talk in our consultation that her husband is married to Monsanto, right? Because and they're mm-hmm. spraying glyphosate like crazy. Well, glyphosate's been documented to be probably the strongest associated. Um, contributor to type 2 diabetes development Mm -hmm. beyond diet and beyond sugar and all this. So toxins may be the answer in a given case. And so testing is important in certain cases. I don't think everyone should be tested, but again, that's the the Mm -hmm. clinician's uh, acumen should lead them that way
0: yeah yeah so uh once you discover that like they they have toxins do you do uh, like a detox protocol do like particularly i um uh, thinks that when you read about infertility mercury Mm -hmm. can also be a huge part of the infertile um uh, profile yeah and people eat fish on a regular basis right everybody thinks fish is very good so they start eating it five days a week
1: yeah uh, without
0: understanding Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and and so they're eating the fish, and then they have, like, 15 amalgam fillings in their mouth that are off-gassing, you know, 15 micrograms a day, you know, so that the tissue load builds up quickly. So, you know, finding a doctor that can find out whether or not that's contributing to your case is key. And then, <coughs> excuse me, if it is, then in the case of amalgams, you need to work with a, an environmental dentist to help you do that properly to get get those out and converted.
0: Okay. And usually after you uh, address the toxins, do uh, do people like actually see a difference in their health? I mean, I'm assuming you're addressing toxins. It's it's again, very multi-pronged approach, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You gotta address, um, how, do you, how do you, what do you normally do? Like, okay, you, looks like from your history, you got this exposure to chemicals, like somebody who's a hairdresser or yeah. somebody who works in a salon, right? Yeah,
1: yeah so first and foremost, you have to, do your best to avoid any and all exposure because we're not going to ever be zero exposure. But if I'm a female using 12 products a day, can you drop, can you, what are the three you have to have? have right. To have, yeah. You know, so for, for your vanity, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got to have
0: the mascara.
1: Right. But, but you have to reduce exposure. That's the biggest thing. Cause if you continue to put it in, how, mm-hmm. you know, what are we going to do? And then it's, supporting healthy clearance of toxins. So your liver, your gut, and your kidneys are your three main detox organs. So making sure those things are all working optimally and in unison. Um, And then, you know, looking at foods and your air and and soil quality and all of this stuff. um, You could go on scorecard.org and punch in your zip code and it'll show you how your town ranks in air quality and soil quality and water quality. Oh, really? What is it called again? Scorecard.org. or .com. It's one of those, but it is scorecard.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, Um, so that can, that can show you, Hey, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina is one of the worst blah, 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 in water quality nationwide. Okay. Well then maybe I need a whole house water filter, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then if, can I change subjects quick? Yeah. 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 So, so I think any functional medicine webinar would be incomplete if we didn't mention potential genetic SNPs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna come to that after the toxins, Yeah. So so genetic
1: SNPs. I also definitely consider that um, because there is a a, in a genetic SNP, SNP stands for single nucleotide polymorphism, which means a mutation that may lead to, you know, something you don't want, right? So common right now or sexy or hot topic is the MTHFR gene. And it's important for fertility and for fetal development. Because it requires folate to function, and folate is necessary for neural tube development or the baby's nervous system development. So, mm-hmm. if mom has uh, genetic mutations that make her inefficient at MTHFR function and folate function, then she may not, uh, or the the fetus's nervous system may not develop properly and may be aborted or may be born with certain issues. So. Um, this is why you know pre-testing is important, but also the right prenatal vitamins are important because it can easily be dealt with if you have it and you find it by using the right form of folate, which is not folic acid, but is methylfolate. Mm-hmm. So um that's something that you know there's a genetic contribution, but the genetic contribution First of all, it's not a damnation to it happening. It's just a potential for it happening. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, the genetic contribution really can be um, um, dealt with by making sure nutrition-wise you're sufficient in what it needs to function optimally. So just because you have the gene doesn't mean you're damned to it. We can just give you some methylfolate, uh, which how much depends on the person, yeah, and bypass that little hiccup.
0: Right, right. So that's a, that's something that, in, in fact, I think when it came to my um, history, I really think that was the main issue. I have COMT is completely okay.
1: uh,
0: out, yeah. and I didn't know that for a long time until I did my uh, genetic testing, and it does have the the key thing about infertility, and I think what most people don't realize is it has long term implications mm-hmm. for your chronic health. And one of the biggest topics that we didn't even touch uh, is the polycystic ovarian yeah. syndrome. And I think that's a huge part of um, infertility. And in within polycystic ovarian syndrome is another uh, whole uh, aspect of other metabolic abnormalities that you can come upon, which can be addressed too. So how many of your patients have you actually s- And usually people who come with polycystic ovarian come to us with, hey, I've been diagnosed with PCOS, like it's a badge of honor, right? Yeah. And I have PCOS. Um, So how many of that, do you see a lot of them? um, with.
1: I've had a few that have known or diagnosed PCOS, but I've Mm -hmm. had more that have, um, say, androgen dominance that Mm -hmm. maybe don't fit PCOS diagnostic criteria yet, but for all intents and purposes, metabolically, that's the way they're going. Right. Okay. So, so, um, you know, there's certain diagnostic criteria to be called PCOS, but a person's physiology can be trending that way before they meet criteria. And so why, why let them meet criteria? Let's catch it and turn it around Mm -hmm. before that. Right. Right. So, um, so I've seen more of that. And and one of the major drivers of PCOS is insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. And so if someone's got insulin resistance or someone's got infertility, but their, their blood sugar isn't well regulated specifically along the lines of insulin physiology, then that may be the ticket for them. So I tell patients, you know, there's there's four pillars for hormonal dysfunction that we want to observe before we're giving you a testosterone injection or an estrogen patch yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. We want to look at, What's your blood sugar regulation look like? What are your systemic inflammatory levels? And in there is all the immune stuff. So, is there autoimmunity? Is there chronic infection, et cetera? What's your liver's ability to detoxify? And what's your gut health look like? Mm -hmm. Because if you have one or all of those off, then that could be driving your hormonal imbalances. And in the context of this webinar, your infertility. And so, again, your OB is never going to look at that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, those are things that maybe it's insulin resistance. So we, we, we improve your insulin sensitivity and there's a million ways to do that. Naturally, you may get pregnant, you know, and you don't have to go spend $50,000 on an IVF. Mm-hmm. Just give yep. Dr. Nisha 10,000 and you're good. Right. <laughs> <I wish>. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so it, it, it's, it's, these are the things that people aren't thinking of that if we can find them, it's relatively simple to deal with. And then it's like, man, why didn't I find you five years ago, Doc?
0: Right, right, right. And a lot of times insulin resistance is not necessarily diagnosed. Like I have people who I call the skinny fat where they look very normal on the surface. But when you get down to getting their uh, questions, uh, the questionnaires, as well as their testing, you actually can see the insulin resistance and that never gets addressed. For instance, you have a fasting blood sugar of uh, 90, perfectly fine. Your A1C is 5.3, very good 90-day average. But your insulin is 55 in a fasting state. You have resistance. For some reason, your body is having to uh, do 10 times the amount of insulin to keep your blood sugars normal. But nobody ever checks insulin. I don't think even an endocrinologist checks insulin levels in a fasting state.
1: Right. And, and what that tells you from a broad perspective is if your receptors are resistant to one hormone, you're likely have some level of resistance to others. So there may be some thyroid resistance going on. There may be some cortisol resistance going on. And then there's, there's probably some FSH and LH resistance, which mm-hmm. could affect fertility. Right. So, right. And, and another indirect way. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, Once the body goes off, and and insulin, I mean, blood sugar regulation is one of the fundamental keys to physiology. So if you're insulin resistant, I mean, there's a whole bunch of downstream things that either are developing or have already developed. So that's why you see, you know, you see a diabetic and they're not just, they don't just have blood sugar issues, they have cholesterol issues, they have blood pressure issues, they have all these issues, right? So once you knock that one domino down it's all bets are off for what else can happen.
0: But that's not how people look at it, right? I, right? I get people always coming and telling me, you know, I don't have any medical problems. I just had one stand to put in and I'm on a medicine for heart disease. Otherwise yeah. I'm healthy. Yeah. And so. y- <laughs> yes, I know it, it's, it's almost like, uh, so why did you have that one stand? They don't know my cholesterol was not too bad, but I just have that one stand. I think it's family history. My mm-hmm. grandfather had it, my cousin had it, and da da da. It goes. It's like we've changed our thinking to accept what a dysfunctional disease is actually normal. So mm-hmm. they come to you, and if they're not tuned to what functional medicine is, it's almost they feel like you're trying to tell them, no, there's something more that you're missing. And it's like, no, if my doctor has checked me out, I have no other problems. Yeah. I just have this one issue. So insulin resistance actually for me is the, when you really look at the history of the physiology behind insulin resistance, your body is protecting you from something. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the history of polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it was really uh, described even by Hippocrates, according to all of the history where they have this masculine lo- looking women who never bear children, mm-hmm. but when they're, to- and you know, we're trying to piece together, why does PCOS even exist over the, um, you know, why was it there in the ancient years? Because they didn't have processed foods because we're talking about insulin resistance. And it was thought to be where, when the scarcity somehow the body develops this ability to, um, uh, kind of, uh, store fat, and fat increases your insulin resistance, and that's why just weight loss will reduce your insulin resistance. (coughs) Did you get something from Disney?
1: (laughs) No, it's just a tickle. If I talk too much, I start to get dry.
0: Well, you should (laughs) start talking more, John.
1: Yeah. Uh So
0: anyway, so I was just saying, you know, insulin resistance in those days was something as a protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. Even today a somewhat a protective mechanism, but we're under a different kind of
1: stress. Yeah. Well, I think what the take home is, there's what you're saying is, you know, medicine is just going to say, hey, you're broken. We can fix it or, hey, you're broken, but it's normal to us. What you and I are saying is the body's and, and this is a tenet of chiropractic philosophy. The body is always intelligent. So, you know, a cancer cell is the body made an intelligent choice between I'm going to die slowly instead of acutely, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you have insulin resistance, the body is making a choice. It's adaptive physiology to protect you from something more acute. So, in in other words, you're basically gonna it's it's going to let you die slowly instead of acutely. Well, conventional medicine lives in acute. If you don't have a tumor, a fracture, a hemorrhage right now, you're normal until you do. This is what I tell patients. So that's why when they're like, well, I feel so bad, but they always tell me I'm normal. Well, because in their world, they're all about, are you going to die today? If you're not, you're normal. So that's why they're terrible with chronic stuff. Well, functional medicine excels with chronic stuff because we can take the time and do this detective work. But if you break your arm or have a tumor or you're hemorrhaging, don't come to me. That's not my wheelhouse. That's them. So what we need to understand is who should we see for a given situation? And that's, that's where conventional medicine markets, like they're the only answer for everything, but they're, they're really the only answer for tumor fracture, hemorrhage, right? Acute life-threatening things.
0: And heart attacks and strokes. I would say anything acute, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Which, which I would lump under hemorrhage, but you know, what I say to patients, if I, if I get hit by a bus, don't take me to me, right? Take me to to the hospital, save my life. But then when it's time to get healthy, I need to see me. Okay.
0: Right. Right. So So to just summarize now with somebody who's uh, you know struggling with infertility has done everything but does not have the money for IVF mm-hmm. what should they be doing I know you mentioned gut in part of the hormonal abnormality And a lot of times, I think if we can get that fixed, because that's your connection to the outside world, really what you're putting Mm -hmm. into your body comes through that, Mm -hmm. whether it be medicine, supplements, or food. Um, And of course, the skin and the air is what you put on your skin and inhale, but mostly the gut, the biggest load. And that's very true because your biggest, strongest detox organ is the liver. It's supposed to uh, really uh, be able to differentiate between what is uh, a, a toxin and what is actually um, healthy to, for you, right so when you really look in the broad um, spectrum, the, can we put it as hey, you have an immune issue, you have an inflammation which is which will be lumped under infection and underlying infection, and uh, a, probably a genetic predisposition. If your environment is not correct, and of course, exposure to toxins, which comes back to your ability of your body, the immune system to identify the toxin, and then your detoxification system to actually get rid of it. I think mm-hmm. that also needs to be, would, would that cover, are, the, are those the hidden things that probably the conventional system will not look for? Did I cover yeah. pretty much yeah. what?
1: Yeah. I would, I would just the last thing I will put in there is your kidney function, because that's that's the, the third of the t- of the big three in terms of detoxifying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean,
0: so why would the kidney function be affected in a young woman? Or I'm assuming young, I would say now right now would be anywhere from 25 to 45.
1: Yeah. I mean if they have pelvic inflammatory disease, if they if they have a history of, you know, chronic UTIs or uh interstitial cystitis, or you know, um, you know, if they have renal artery stenosis or, you know, all, all kinds of different things. So just understanding as the clinician, hey, these are the three main organs of detoxification. So let's just make sure I'm looking through the history. Any anything that flags me, hey, maybe kidney. Than on the labs, anything that flags me, hey, maybe kidney. Maybe it's not, but we just want to make sure we're at least considering that.
0: Okay. So, really, when you uh, get a person who comes to you with, because of infertility, when you start working with them, obviously, first one is the detective work. How much do you, uh, do you see a lot of food sensitivities in patients with infertility
1: at all? Um, that's not. I have to say personally I that's not a huge priority for me because um if there's immune imbalance, then we have to take care of that. And yeah. most food sensitivities are going to be because of immune imbalance. So if we clean that up, you know. So for me, food testing is way down the road if things don't improve like we would expect them to. I never lead with the food stuff because if I lead with the food stuff before knowing the status of your immune system, we could get false positives or false negatives and be chasing our tails.
0: I always tell people it's a gut issue. You got to look yeah. at your gut because you shouldn't be sensitive to what
1: you. But to are. your point, though, I mean, if 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 their infertility is driven by an autoimmune process, then foods matter because many foods are yeah. cross-reactive with self-tissue. So then, you know, consuming certain foods may flare or worsen the infertility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. So uh, they come to you and then you do the deep dive into their uh, investigation for uh, listening to their history. How do you approach them? Do you start with, uh, let's do nutrition or do supplements? Do you do detox or you do everything together? What would be your approach?
1: Um, I approach, sorry for the ambiguity, because I build it to the person, but whatever the Whatever the um, findings are, whatever the findings are on the testing, I'm gonna then prioritize based on that person. And so, you know, you can't do everything at once. So we can't dump, uh, you know, immune and detox and this and this all at one time. So I have to say, okay, in Nisha, Nisha's an onion, we have to put the layers of the onion back together. So the highest priority layer we're gonna do first. And then we're going to put the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. And at certain periods along that time, we're going to retest to say, are we objectively achieving what we've set out to achieve plus subjectively, you know, how are symptoms improving and that sort of thing. So it's it's um, nuanced to the person.
0: And I think that's very important for people to understand this because we're, again, once again, trained to go to a doctor and get a solution, a quick fix, right? Yeah. I have a problem with infertility. Give me something to make me have a baby right now. Whereas when you go to a functional medical doctor, you're looking at it in a stepwise fashion because infertility is not something you're born with, it's yeah. something that you develop. Well, and yeah. Go ahead. And
1: I think our society is the brainwashing is for look for the magic bullet, right? Right. And, and that's what the whole drug paradigm is built on. We found right. the magic bullet. And then a year later, you know, after 50,000 people have died, they pulled off the market. Right. So right, right. Um, what what I tell patients is the only magic bullet is consistency. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's what teaches us what they should be expecting. The only way you're going to undo whatever you're dealing with is consistently making the right choices and providing the right nutrients and removing the right toxins over time. There's no magic supplement, just like there's no magic drug, or there's not even a magic diet. You know, It's what's the right thing for the person in front of me, and can you do that consistently over time? I'm not doing it to you. My heavy lifting is figuring out. Then you have to go do. If I right. figure it out and you don't go do, we're still in the same place we were when we met.
0: Right. I, I know this is probably the most important thing is consistency Mm -hmm. you know when uh when people eat healthy for about two weeks and they don't see a difference they are completely like hey (laughs) we're not on the right track here right
1: yeah uh, but you are the the problem is you know a are you doing it as strictly as the doctor recommended or have you have you had just a taste here or there, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so, A, you may not be doing it as strictly as possible, or you may be so inflamed and you may be 40 years old and you've never eaten healthy, and it's going to take eight weeks to to reduce the inflammation and get energy back and that sort of thing. So, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Yeah. And if, if they give you a drug, they don't say take it, unless it's antibiotics, they don't say take it for two weeks and then stop. They say, here, take this the rest of your life, right? So, you need right. to, you need to give yourself time and realize that there's no magic bullet. You have to do it consistently.
0: Right, right. And I think it's very important for people who struggle with infertility also to remember a few things. In, when they do the studies on infertility or they've gone back and seen you know people who complain whether, and I think the study was done mostly in women. And the reason women are um, blamed for infertility in many cultures across the world, may not be in the United States, but in a lot of cultures across the world, the men do not get tested. Mm -hmm. So when you have the statistics, it's mostly female infertility. looks like it's 30% higher than uh, male infertility. But in general, when you are uh, infertile in your 20s and 30s, uh, one of two things would have happened. You would have got gotten the IVF and had a baby with some kind of assistance. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you land up having medical problems, chronic medical problems, which you don't connect to your infertility. And I think that's very important to understand. Infertility is not just about not having a baby. There's something wrong. And I've used, uh, heard you use this word before. I don't know under what topic which you were, something is wrong with the terrain. mm mm-hmm. And um, if something is wrong with the terrain now not to have a baby and you forced it to your body to have the baby later on, when you have the diabetes, when you have the thyroid, when you have the arthritis and eventually have dementia, they all began with Mm -hmm. when we failed to find the cause of the infertility 40 years ago. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't realize that that's why infertility is just a symptom of an underlying problem it's not
1: and, a condition right yeah. okay yeah and so, and, mm-hmm. and one other thing um and I, I i need to read further on this so don't ask me too many in depth questions but i've seen some um articles lately saying that when they study babies of ivf babies like mm-hmm. a couple of generations out they're infertile the ivf really the offspring of ivf born baby. They just
0: got all those uh, antibodies transferred. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so I I need to follow up on that further, but that was interesting because again, it's, you may accomplish your goal of having the baby today, which, which is awesome. We can never take away from you, but then from an evolutionary, uh, an evolutionary perspective, it's like, well, you know, at at some point we're, we're creating a family line that's going to end because of the choices we're making today. So you know maybe save IVF as the last ditch last thing. Yeah. Go yeah. go see go see the doctors, you know, a functional medicine provider that can do this detective work and and find out whether or not you truly don't have a choice other than IVF and go from there.
0: And that's exactly what I tell patients It's like I think um, health should be looked upon just like wealth. Um, somebody who gets wealthy does not have just does not do his taxes or her taxes on their own. They mm-hmm. actually have an accountant. They have a financial advisor. They might have somebody else who actually looks at a. You know, um, there are different types of financial advisors too. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at both income and outflow, and you're constantly monitoring it if yep. you're really trying to build wealth. Same thing with health is you need to have a team of people. Everybody has, whether it be a chiropractor, naturopath, MD, um, or a functional medical doctor who can come from any different different backgrounds, a team actually will help you get back health. And somewhere we have to create that atmosphere where we're going to be able to talk to each other and help the patient. That is true patient-centered medical care. Right. And um, and I think uh, hopefully someday we'll get to that point. So in terms of health, what do you do, John, for your health? What is this thing that you do consistently that keeps you healthy?
1: Um, I practice what I preach, <laughs> which you know which includes what? Yeah. which which includes you know the proper nutrition, the proper physical activity, the proper sleep hygiene, the proper toxin avoidance, the optimization of stress levels. Um, you know, so if you want to dig in deeper, yeah, what's
0: your routine? That's what I I, want to know.
1: I, um, you know, I wake up at four 45 every day. I work out, I have a mindfulness practice and then I, um, and then I have a study period Mm -hmm. and then, then my family wakes up. I have, uh, four kids and one in the oven. So uh, I wake up and get them going. Um, and then I get off to work and then nutritionally um i'm completely gluten free dairy free i'm gluten sensitive so if i eat it it affects me neurologically dairy affects my gut so i avoid all that um uh you know and then you know optimizing stress and optimizing sleep and avoiding toxins like those are kind of the five So how do you that.
0: optimize stress? i think that's a big challenge right?
1: Yeah um and so for me optimal excuse me, optimal sleep is huge in optimizing stress because if your sleep is off, that's the fastest way to jack up your HPA axis and cortisol levels. Right. Um, but then also starting my day with that victory hour, as I call it, mm-hmm. the exercise, the reflection, the learning allows me to dictate to the day how my day is going to be instead of like waking up, hitting snooze and then running from there, you know? Mm-hmm. So if, if, if you just build margin into your schedule you're, Mm -hmm. you'll realize you're a lot less stressed because you gave yourself time to, A, do, do what you want to do most that day first, right? And Mm -hmm. then go do the rest.
0: Right, right. So do you ever fall off track?
1: Um, sure. And how often would you say? uh, Um, well, I, I, I never miss a workout. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't eat gluten. I'll have cheese on a burger sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, uh sleep is probably the easiest thing to fall off because of family and staying at the office late right. and things of that nature. So right. Um, right. you know, for me personally, sleep is probably the hardest one to to do the best at.
0: But that's true. That's true for everybody in our profession. And yeah. I, in many ways, I think we've trained ourselves to have less hours of it. I just don't know what I will do if there was a time that I didn't have to work, if I would actually sleep, and I don't think it will happen because I yeah. just won't. You know, I, I, can, I don't need to look at my clock. I just know yeah. what time it is. Like, it is. Time. Yeah. yeah, I know. And then when I look at the clock, it just corroborates with what I'm thinking <laughs> in my head. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, Why am
1: I always right? (laughs) I
0: know. (laughs) So, uh, so for people, um, just to—is there any other question that I haven't asked? And I know there are somebody, some people watching, but no one will ask questions. That's how we have it. Unless I'm talking about ketogenic diet, then everybody asks questions.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Anything that's a fad. So infertility was not a fad, but it was very important because I realized that a lot of chronic issues that I see in the fifties. Many of these women have struggled with infertility um, much younger. Is there some question I did not ask that you wish I asked you?
1: Well, I think just to the point you just made, if we go back to the premature ovarian failure
0: Mm -hmm. woman
1: that has ovarian antibodies. Right. Because the conventional medical and most functional medical doctors don't even know that exists and don't check for it. You may have gone through, you know, your 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 fertile years and never had that found. And now you're in your 50s or so and you're still having issues because A, the damage to the ovaries and maybe drove you to early menopause. And so now the hormone shifts happened earlier in life. And so you're, you know, you're skewed that way. Mm-hmm. But B, if you have an autoimmune process, oftentimes if it's not being dealt with, you start to collect them over time. So maybe you started with ovarian antibodies. And yeah. then, oh, now I have Hashimoto's, and oh, now I have psoriasis or something. So um, this is the part where Dr. Anisha was saying problems you have down the road stem from that. Well, that's mm-hmm. one put the theoretical mechanism that may have resulted in it for mm-hmm. you. Got it. So, okay. yeah.
0: No, Well, anyway, I think we have given them enough information to think about. Sure and reach out. And if uh, people want to uh, get hooked on to your videos, like everybody else does, where (laughs) do they go?
1: Um, The most direct way to go would be Mm -hmm. youtube.com. Backslash letter C backslash B R John Bartemus. Okay. Um, or if you just go to YouTube and you you type in the search bar Bartemus, my last name. Yeah. B A R T E M U S. That will my channel will be one of the first things that pops up, and you can just go subscribe from there. And I'm currently at almost 700 videos. So once you yeah. get to my channel, you can search on my channel for food sensitivity or hormones or whatever you're looking for, and probably have videos pop up for you
0: very nice well thank you so much for your valuable time and all of the information and uh, uh we it'll be on our website i didn't know how to share it to your little sure. group so if you want to just get on it and not our website our facebook page sure. um well i you know, i'll send you a link too
1: all right i appreciate right. it thank you everybody and lastly just my website is www.functionalmedicinecharlotte.com gotcha. And uh, thank you for all you're doing, Dr. Misha, to educate and empower your your followers.
0: Thank you. And thank you for being a part of this.
1: You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Alrighty then, if you've listened to this podcast fully, I would like to hope you have gained some new knowledge, a different way of thinking, and have benefited from it. If so, would you please do me a favor and share this with your family and friends? I do, however, want to mention that nothing that is stated in this podcast or written in the show notes should be construed as medical advice. We would like you as an individual to seek your medical advice from your specific provider. Our goal has all along been to dig into some existing truths, try and make it simple so we all have a better understanding of our options out there to live fulfilling lives. It may be also prudent for me to mention the obvious here that no doctor-patient relationship was ever formed. In closing, I am grateful that you joined us and please do not forget to leave a review or share this info. Signing off till next time, I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam.